Welcome to Teamwork, A Better Way, the podcast filled with stories, experiences, and insights from leading high-performing team experts. Here are your hosts, Spencer Horn and Christian Napier. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Teamwork, A Better Way. I'm Christian Napier, joined by the incomparable Spencer Horn in his new digs. Spencer, how you doing? So great. Uh, so good to be with you. I always look forward to our, our conversations and excited today because today I went on a, a, my hike in my new location. So I, I, I hiked a new trail, went for about three and a half miles and, and uh, got some good sweat going on. So was that trail up one of the canyons there, or, or yeah, where no, was it? it? it it's uh, it, it's just right on the bench, it's kind of uh, on the Bonneville shoreline area here, southwest of of the valley. And there are multiple trails, mountain bike trails. I just wanted to get to know them a little bit, discover what they're like, and you know if I can manage them in, in my diminished state of balance and and mountain biking capabilities i you know i just got to scout things out before i actually take the bike out until i figure out how to get you know i need to get one of those adjustable seats so that i can uh lower it when when the situation requires well it does beg the question uh how's the thumb are is it fully recovered or are you still uh still yeah recovering you know it's it, thank you for asking it's it's really pretty good and uh, a little stiff and uh, i can tell i mean it, it it when i stretch it too much it yeah, it hurts, but um, it's getting a lot better. And I, I feel like I'm going to be ready to ride soon. Let's ride. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I can't wait for you to get back on that bike. Now, we were supposed to have a guest today, uh, yep. Tim Keaton, but he was not able to join us uh, due to, well, he had some health issues and was not able to join us today. And so we yeah. wish him the very best as he deals with that and, and uh, recovers. So in the meantime, it's just you and me, uh, yeah, Spencer. Yeah, you know, I, I, I got to say, I'm just really sad about it. I mean, you don't know all the background, but but Tim and I go way back. As a matter of fact, ten years ago, uh, this year, you know, as ten years ago, we did a we did a training in in Orlando with his company and, and many guests, and and then it was later that year that I went on a, a company cruise with uh, with his company and and where some of my my stories come from that uh, what a great experience that was and so i'm i'm personally sad that he's not with us and i know that there are some listening that may be disappointed so i just put that out there <laughs> yeah well yes likewise i was looking forward to meeting him uh but like i said uh, we wish him the best and what we've decided and what you recommended is that we just go ahead and have a conversation amongst ourselves and you forwarded a very interesting article to me for today's topic and the the article is entitled trust may have some nuances that you haven't considered it's in the uh september edition of forbes magazine by roger dean duncan basically uh is like excerpts of an interview uh with the author of a book uh dr peter h kim uh from usc who wrote a book how trust works the science of how relationships are built broken and repaired and i'm really really excited to dive into this topic because uh 
as a society, we are having major trust issues, right? It's it's perhaps uh, you know the the one of the most challenging aspects that we're dealing with in this day and age. And so, super excited to 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 hear about this. And maybe you know what was it that caught your eye about this, Spencer? That said, hey, let's talk about this. Great, great question. I mean, it is a uh, it, it's a topic that is, you know, I think people, I, I, I think I understand what trust is. You know, I trust you. I don't trust you. I mean, but do we really understand what trust is and how important it is to the success of our, our, our business operation, our team performance? And it's, it's a, an element that, that I measure when working with teams. There are you know, when it comes to productivity, there are measures of things that contribute to productivity. But on the sustainability of productivity, in other words, the ability to to keep productivity and engagement high, trust is one of the top indicators of 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 that team performance sustainability, whether it's there or not. And you know, I work with intact you know executive teams regularly where trust is an issue. And it impacts how they work together, how they deal with uh, the challenges, uh, conflict, how they work through those, and and how that then impacts the their constituents, their clients, their their members, whatever it is that those that they serve are impacted. Just like if two parents, Christian, aren't trusting and caring of each other, that has a, a, a incredibly negative impact on their uh, development of their children. And so th- this is a, an issue that I think is, is really important for us to, to talk to. I measure it. I see it. I see the impact of it. But yet, how do we, how, how do we grow it? Because, you know, it takes years sometimes to develop trust and, and sometimes just seconds to, to destroy, maybe as you have experienced, and I certainly have. Yes, uh, definitely. One of the things that I found, Spencer, that was quite interesting in this article, to your point, uh, that both the author of the article and then Dr. Kim, uh, who is, uh, I guess, being interviewed by the author of the article, highlights is the difference between competence and integrity when it comes to trust. So, uh, generally speaking, and we are speaking in generalities here, yeah. uh, we human beings tend to be more forgiving of uh, shortfalls in competency. So, you know, maybe, you know, we were supposed to get something done by a certain date and we missed the date and we think, well, you know, we'll give them another shot. We'll give her another shot. Um, and, and, and we'll start, you know, rationalizing. Well, uh, wasn't feeling well, you know, couldn't make it in, whatever it was. While on the flip side, you have integrity, and integrity, we tend to weigh our experiences uh, more heavily on the negative side, as you pointed out. I've done years and years of great things, and then I do something that. Uh, quite, you know, puts in my integrity into question, and then I'm stuck. <laughs> you know? yeah, so, so I, I'm pretty just much to, Just to restate that, so our, our brains, our just our mentality as humans is to 
we, we actually weigh information more positively when somebody does something that's related to competence or they, they make a, you know, a, a mistake or there's a lapse in their competence. And we weigh information more negatively when it comes to their integrity. So my question to you, and I'm going to throw you uh, on the spot here. Why? Why do you think that is? I mean, it, and I don't know. That, I mean, I just love to hear your perspective. Uh, I don't know. I guess I should go buy the book. <laughs> but so I'm putting a plug in there for Dr. Kim. But my intuition tells me uh, that there is a distinction between uh, behavior and character. And when 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 you're talking about competence, you're talking about someone's behavior. Uh, but that and maybe their behavior fell short, but it doesn't reflect on their character. Whereas when you're talking about integrity, it's all about character. And we tend to think of, uh, you know, something that violates the integrity of a person as a character trait. That means I'm more inherently not worthy of someone's trust because I have deep-seated character flaws. That That's kind of the conclusion I draw could be completely wrong, but that's intuitively what I, I'm, I'm, I'm coming through. Oh, I like that. I think it's great, and 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 I agree with you. I also think it has to do with the fact of 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 intent, right? I mean, we are making judgments about their intent for our own survival, right? Why do we we typically as humans have a negativity bias, and that is a survival mechanism. We, we believe bad news over positive news. Why? Because in case it, it could be true, that's a risk to us. So when it comes to integrity or character issues, as you mentioned, well, what, you know, what malfeasance, if they've done it now, could they do to me in the future? And so it, I believe it's a way of, of protecting ourselves. But if somebody just forgets or doesn't follow through or doesn't know how, or is it new in a role and and is overwhelmed or has uh, expectations that are, you know, higher than their comp, just than their ability. We're like, hey, we, we give them a pass. It's not because they didn't want to. It's not because they had malintent. It was because the oversight, a mistake, a lack of skills, and 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 we're just more giving and forgiving of of those types of of, of errors. So. Uh, I, I want to I want to give you an example of how this um, lapse in how we weigh negatively uh, integrity issues and how it affects our our business. It can it can have a, a huge impact on relationships on on uh, families on clients. I was uh, for uh, I moved actually to to Las Vegas in 2006 with, with my family to be the executive director of a children's cancer charity. I don't know if you knew that. After I worked with you in, in Daily Dose, I, that's when I went to, uh, that was a long time ago. You and I worked in 2004 through six. And and then um, I, I, I mean, I loved that experience of helping people. It was uh, an organization that was growing, and, and I'd never worked with a nonprofit before. They needed some some leadership skills, and so I, I brought those. And we had a board of directors providing oversight, and we had some 
family members who had children that were in the, in the organization. And the person who was running all the finances was trusted. She was, she was awesome. But she had the responsibility. She was retiring and wanted to quit. And she had the responsibility of hiring her replacement. So she hired a bookkeeper and, um, and trained her. And when she left, I was working with the bookkeeper to get a, an audit. Because one of the things that I wanted to do was get United Way funding. In order to do that, you have to, you have, to have audited financials. And she kept dragging her feet. And I, and I was like, why is this not getting done? She kept blaming our, our auditing, our, our CPAs. So I called the CPA and I said, hey, can, what's going on? Can we, get, can we get this done? She says, we're waiting for you. And I knew immediately that I had a problem. So I brought in the, uh, the bookkeeper and uh, interviewed her and found uh, that she had been lying and... and uh, and I didn't know the extent of what, what she had done, but as soon as the, the person who hired her, who was training her, had left, she had started embezzling from the organization. Part of what we did as a nonprofit was care for kids with cancer, and if they needed treatment, we would pay for them to travel, and so we would have credit cards, and we would... So, you know, we, have, we had the public's trust. If they gave money to us, we were using it for helping these kids. Well, this person just believed that because they were not getting paid very much that they deserved more and used the uh, canceled uh, cards that were supposed to be canceled, used for her own plastic surgery <laughs> to the tune of about $70,000. And, and I discovered that. But we had an oversight committee. None of the oversight committee caught that. Okay, because we were all so busy working on all the new initiatives and, and growing the organization and all these different things. And... So what ended up happening is the board president fired me. Why? Because he was concerned of the perception of the community, of the integrity of, of the organization. And somebody had to, had to take responsibility for that. Now, I'm the one who, who caught it, but I'm also the one who ended up paying for that. And so what wow. happens is, is that integrity is viewed more negatively than, than competence. I mean, we, uh, you know, we were going fast and, and, and they considered this, you know, he considered this an integrity issue. Now, uh, so I went on and that's what led me to go into, I, I, I was introduced to a leadership development company and the rest is history because that's really where I got my start in what I'm doing now. And I'm very grateful for that. And a year later, that same board president, um, asked me to come back because <laughs> they realized, you know, that the, the community was uh, maybe a little more accepting. That was more his fear. And, and that will lead us to a question, do some people trust more or less than, than others? But in this case, he was so worried about all the donors and how they would perceive this, this error that somebody had to pay for it. And so that was me. And that was hard to deal with for a time because I had four months I was unemployed and that is something I'd never experienced before in my life. But that was the result of this person's lack of integrity. And Christian, I have to tell you that um, I was very interested in her prosecution. After she left, I wanted to, I was, I said, hey, I will testify. We'll do whatever you guys need to help you um, make sure that justice is done. And so what ultimately happened? <laughs> uh, she, uh, 
obviously, I mean, she was she was uh, convicted of, uh, you know, of I don't exactly know what the crime was. I I just was glad that that justice was served. But it was about seventy thousand dollars, and for you know a, a small nonprofit, that was a lot of money. And I don't know if I, I haven't followed to see if she would ever pay that back. Well, the good news is is that the person I had hired to be the uh, director of development ended up becoming the executive director. And she has just done fabulous with the nonprofit and they, and they have done wonderful things. And one of the other board members uh, I worked with to go on and create a, um, a vision that she had to create a clinic. And she has created a, a, a cancer treatment center in Nevada that's become one of the top nonprofits in, in the country, number four. It's just amazing what they've been able to do. So I was involved in that after I left in helping her set, the, set that up. Good things came out of it, although it was painful at the time. Wow. What an experience, Spencer. That I've is just crazy. I've never told you that before. <laughs> I learn something new every day. Well, you mentioned... Uh, you know, that some people may be more trusting than others. And I don't know why that is. But as we were talking, I was thinking to myself, you know, that this idea of competence versus integrity um, isn't necessarily black and white, and it may exist on a continuum. And people who might be more trusting may look to incidents more on the competent side of the spectrum, while those who may be more distrustful or, or skeptical, excuse me, may look at an action more on the integrity side. So it's a reflection of character, whereas others may see, well, deep down, I mean, I know the person's a good person, they just made a mistake, you know, and, you know, we should give them another shot. And so I'm curious, uh, your because you've you've profiled so many executives you 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 know you are licensed and certified to be i don't know if licensed the right term, but you've you've earned certifications I, I allow am, you I do am, this for 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 organizations and and understand their different personality or behavioral styles and and communication styles and so on and so forth and i'm curious if there are certain personality styles that tend to be just more trusting of others and others who tend to be more skeptical. You know, this is this is uh, this is a great question, and and I love it, and I, I I actually talk a lot about it because there's information on this that that I didn't develop. I have seen in in my work how this shows up in different personalities, but is it, 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 it's I, I wasn't the first one to discover that there is a, a continuum in how people uh, see the world, events, and people in it, and. Uh, an interesting thought leader in the early 1900s was William Marston. He was a physiological psychologist. Uh, 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 yeah, physiological psychologist. He developed the lie detector test. He was quite a colorful individual. He wrote a, uh, a book called How Normal People Behave. And a lot of his theories were used in, in many of the psychometric assessments that, that we use today. He also created the Wonder Woman character, uh, <laughs> interesting fellow. But one of the things he said, I mean, if you, if you were to divide just people and, and I, I wish I could draw it for you and I wasn't, I wasn't prepared to talk about this. We, we didn't plan this. So, uh, so to imagine a vertical line and then everybody on the left side 
of that line sees the world and the events and people in it as a challenge or as a problem. They see the, the, the negative potentialities, if you will, or potential risks. They see those first before they see the positive. So there's the there's a stronger bias to the negative, right? And then everybody on the right side of that line, and we're talking generally, I'm not talking in every circumstance, I'm talking these these principles, and I think people listening will will, will relate to it and, and in their experience as well. The people on the right side will see uh, the world as more positive and upbeat. And and so he you know, he he then splits it again horizontally and everybody on on above the line sees themselves as more powerful than the environment. And then everybody below sees themselves as perhaps less powerful than the environment. Not, not that they're a feat or incapable. It's just that by themselves, they may not be able to accomplish everything. So on the case of the lower left-hand side, they are over-preparing, right? Because they have to have all the information. They don't want to be caught without the information. That's high conformity. On the right side, it's they by themselves can't do it. So they form a team. They, they, they gather their friends and, you know, think of an offensive lineman, you know, they protect their, their protectors and, uh, but they see the positive and they, they like people and they like harmony. That's what he called steadiness. I mean, that's from the disc theory, right? There's, there's steadiness and, and we call it pace slash patience, but on the top, right, you see the good in the world and you're more powerful. That's, that's this high extroversion. That's the, the people with influence. And they just, that, you know, they love to be with people. They see the good in people. And when I coach a lot of them, what happens is I notice that they get burned a lot. Why? Because they overestimate everybody else's competence. They see the good that you're capable. You can do it. I, I, I believe in you. And, and so as a result, sometimes they get, they get burned because they will give the benefit of the doubt. They will judge more positively than negatively. On the other hand, the ones on the top left, high, high, what we call dominance, they see the challenges, they see the negative. They're more, you know, if, if someone, if an incident happens, it, they're focused more on the task than they are on the people in the relationship. And that's my personality. I had to work very hard. I mean, when my oldest daughter got in a car accident, instead of comforting her and it's going to be okay, I'm like, Oh my gosh, how are we going to deal with this, right? And so based on how we see the world, that influences our behavior. If I see the world as a challenge, as a problem, and how is this going to affect me and my, and my ability to pay the bills, and I'm going to focus on the negative. If I'm more focused on, on people and relationships, I'm going to see, you know, how can, I, how can I see this as more positive? I don't know if that answers your question, but I, I do spend a lot of time also with people that have high conformity and high dominance who are very judgmental and demanding and seeing the incompetence of their people and that they can't do the job or they can't meet the standards that they are so hard on people and controlling and taking away authority because they don't, they don't trust that they create disengagement with their direct reports. Does that answer your question? It yeah, well, it sheds a lot of light. And so I, I guess when it comes to trust and being able to repair it, uh, look at it from two sides. One is the person who is trying to make the repair and make amends. And then the other who was the, uh, for lack of a better term, the victim <laughs> or the, you know, the the person who who felt like you violated their trust. And 
And I, I, I think this could be tricky. And one of the things that's mentioned in the article that, that, uh, you know, speaks to the nuance uh, of trust is how apologies are handled. <laughs> and so, uh, those who view apologies for competency related offenses <laughs> or shortfalls, uh, those apologies are generally more likely to be accepted. Why? Because we view those in a, in a more positive light and that this behavior was the exception, not the rule. Right. Uh, but for integrity related violations of trust, an apology could potentially make things worse. Why? Because when you apologize, you admit guilt which reinforces this negative message. And so the positive message of remorse uh, and feeling guilty and yes, I'm going to do better. It doesn't, it doesn't resonate because the person receiving this apology is focusing on the negative thing that you're just saying. And I thought that was good. Sorry, I I, I pressed the button too fast. <laughs> no, it's all good. I, I'll, I'll end it there. I'll end it there. What's your What's your take? Well, I I agree actually with 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 what Dr. Kim is saying, and and I think one of the things he points out that's really interesting is that you know if you are if you're like a, a CEO or a team leader, you have to be very careful about how you apologize. If you are a, 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 a politician or a, you know, a Kardashian or, you know, somebody that's famous and you made a gaffe or had a, an integrity issue, you have to be very careful about how you apologize. Why? Because people believe that you in your position of power are there because of, you know, some, I don't know, just because maybe you have greater opportunity and most likely you're there because you have all these super skills, or if, if you don't, you've paid for them and, and you have PR firms and you have handlers and you have emotional intelligence training. Therefore you're able to manage your emotions in this situation. And so your apology probably isn't authentic. It's more strategic than it is actually real. And so they're less likely to believe you. And, and so an apology right. can actually cause people to distrust you even more. This is an interesting paradox. So what do we do with this information? It's a really, really good. It's a really, really good question. You know, on the one hand, I can think of certain political figures who never apologize for anything. Right. Right. And, and uh, looking at it from this perspective, that's probably a smart move, right? It's like, well, I don't need to get into this situation where I'm apologizing for something because, you know, giving any kind of apology isn't going, nothing good is going to come of it. So I'm just going to double down and I'm not going to apologize because apologizing <laughs> doesn't have any positive outcome for me, right? right? Uh, but uh, for those who don't feel that way, uh, yeah, you're right. You know, the, the apology needs to be sincere. And what happens when we see these apologies from high profile public figures? We dissect every single word, right? So when we read a statement, 
because everything says, they say is calculated and it's written yeah. for them by PR firms that are managing well, them. Yeah. Even managers. I apologize. I apologize uh, to anyone who may have taken offense. Right. So what do we do? We wordsmith that. And we think to ourselves, "Oh, well, what you he's doing so is pulling back on the people, right? Because you know we shouldn't have taken the, we shouldn't have been offended, right? right. So we do that. We do this." this very very and it's uh, condescending to us right yes <laughs> so you're so you're right uh, executives face a conundrum when when uh when it comes to offering apologies but i think there are some examples of uh of apologies in corporate history that have resonated um you know and i i'm I'm thinking of one now. I remember when there was the 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 Tylenol scare back in the eighties, right? Oh, Where yeah, wow, that was uh, scary. Yeah. And you know, what did the company do? Well, they just destroyed all the Tylenol, right? So uh I think, you know, there there are instances where an apology can be viewed as sincere when you see the company Take, you know, taking action that has potentially significantly adverse it. financial consequences to the company. Uh, and so we're like, okay, well, they're putting their money where their mouth is. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that, I think that's really, really important is that people see that you're sincere. I, I, I think one of the things that is important for us to understand is that just you and I in general tend to gravitate towards people who think like us, who believe like us. And we're typically more likely to believe someone that believes like us, right? So how can you use this information to help you in, in your apology? Um, if, if I'm a manager, a project manager, a CEO, an executive, a, a, a vice president, and I make a mistake, I need to... I need to know my people. They need to know me. They can't just see me as an ivory tower or a citadel leader that's somewhere up there. They need to know that I care about them. They need to know that I know them. And the reason that is important, because think about who it is, Christian, that you are most likely to believe who is not like you. In other words, who has opposing opinions and beliefs that you actually listen to? Is it people that you don't know that you feel like are crazy and, and on the fringes? Or is it people that you personally know? And even though they have different opinions than, than you, you are more likely to listen to them because you know their character and you, and you like them. Well, definitely the latter, right? Uh, Sorry, I, I didn't mean to be too rhetorical, but, but you don't understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> I do. I totally get it. I totally get it. And so what I gather there is if you have been up in the ivory tower and something goes amiss, then what do you do? You know, because it's different than, well, I have, I've been down on the ground floor with people and they, they know that I'm there and I care about them. And so, uh, you know, when I make a difficult decision, you know, for example, uh, we've had several companies lay off employees in the last few years. Right. And 
Uh, for some of those companies, it may have been the first time there's been a layoff in that organization. And that layoff can be seen as a massive violation of trust. Right. And, and how do these leaders handle it? You know, some, some have handled it with dignity and treated the people who are departing with respect and others have not, you know, just making, you know, some announcement on zoom or something. And, you know, just, it's just handled very callously, uh, which tells you that they weren't in touch and they weren't connected to their people to begin exactly. with. You know, and, and having conversations with, hey, here's where we are as, as a company. I know some companies have actually taken financial hits during, you know, the, the past few years just to keep people on because they just wanted to do the best they could to, to care for those people, even if that meant losing, losing revenue. But you can't sustain that indefinitely. And so hard decisions have to be made. But if you're making those in in really absentia of, of the people who are doing the work, they're going to potentially interpret your choices as self-serving. They're going to, because you're different, you're in that position of authority. They're, they're going to really focus more on your character and on your integrity than, than on your competence. And so are probably less likely to be forgiving than if they knew you and spent time with you. That's the, I think the, the, the key message here is that, you know, get to know your neighbors because this has huge implications for society as a whole that is so polarized because we are, you know, red states are in, in the United States are getting red or blue states are getting bluer. Why? Because we tend to gravitate and want to be neighbors with people that are like-minded. We're just more comfortable with people that aren't challenging us all the time. On the other hand, those friends of ours that we do let into our circle or that we go out of our way to connect with and get to know, um, it's really helpful to see the world from different perspectives. We, we make better decisions. That's really one of the great benefits of diversity. And you know, so when it comes to not only uh, people with different backgrounds, but different ways of thinking, different ways of communicating, and certainly coming from different places around the world, I love to hear from my friends in different places around the world to hear their perspectives and and from different places in the company. How's this affecting you? What's you know what's going on? And, and talk to them. How is this policy playing out in in your world? And and have those types of, of discussions. I mean, I th I think our politicians sometimes are making policy based on what they think is going to get them reelected, and not really thinking about what what what's happening in in communities and neighborhoods and families with their, with their decisions. You know, uh, an interesting example that I just, I just had a conversation yesterday with a gentleman who he's a, he's a long time executive in, in sport. Uh, he is from Brazil and I thought you were going to talk about that Spanish uh, soccer coach or something <laughs> no. about breaking trust. If you got any insights on that, I'd love to hear. No, I, I don't. But what what this conversation reminded me of is, you know, he talked about growing up in South America where, you know, his parents were very poor. They had nothing. Yeah. And in order to do things, they had to be very creative and flexible and think outside the box, you know. So yeah. he would say, you know, uh, we would have a, 
you, we didn't have a soccer ball. We, we rolled up a bunch of socks and made a ball out of it. And <laughs> we didn't have, we didn't have goals. And so we just put a pair of flip-flops down on the ground and these were the goals. And, and the reason he was telling me this was, you know, we were talking about organizing events in, in various parts of the world. And, you know, sometimes difficult for someone from uh, a more structured uh, society to go down there and organize an event because it seems so chaotic. Yeah. Well, this, but, we have to have this, this resource, this resource, and that resource. And you don't right. have it. So, so, so <laughs> which leads to a lot of micromanaging and a lot of heartburn on, on the part of the event owners who, right. who are, you know, justifiably concerned because everything's late and it's not getting done and so on and so forth. And, you know, and then you've got these, these folks down, in South America are saying, Hey, don't stress about it. It's going to get done. It's going to get done. And ultimately the event is delivered. Uh, but it just points to doing things different ways, but these different ways, because they are so different can cause distrust. Right. right. And so what happens is you get organizations, they start turning the screws tighter and you get up, you know, the, the, the people setting who the are bar higher they, because you're not meeting our milestones. Right. They, they, they're like, Hey, you know, just, we will, we will deliver. We have to do it our way because this is the way things are done down here. I love and, that story. And, and uh, it was just a really, really fascinating conversation to hear him talk about this yeah. uh, because you're right. When we surround ourselves with people who are like us, you know, we do things a certain way and that's that, but we, then we become myopic. We yeah, we see. go to a we go somewhere else and we get another perspective. We freak out, you know. Well, uh, it's not being done the way we think that it should be done, and so there's a there's a lack of trust there, and we start trying to micromanage it even more because we're so afraid that although you know, living in Italy in the eighties, registering with the with the with the with the authorities in the new city, that was a scary experience because you, you, the paperwork. I don't know how they kept track of anything in the eighties with before computers. It was. I did not trust that, that they could keep track of all my documents. <laughs> but somehow they seem, they seem to make it work. But initially I was like, this is so crazy. <laughs> oh boy. No, I, I love, I love that story. And, and I just think that we have a lot to learn about trust. And I think if we understand these dynamics that, and, and, and use them wisely and, and authentically, I mean, you can't make it. I'm going to I'll share another experience as working with this company called Rapport Leadership. We would do these intensive trainings, two and a half day. You come in and it's seriously, we emotionally hijack you the whole time, put you in a roller coaster, right? It's, it's, a, it's really quite an experience. You will come out of that um, very confident or, um, you know, assuming you have, well, anyway, one of the processes that we do is after just a couple of hours of being together, uh, I'm talking about, you know, after the first night, um, we do a process where everyone gives each other feedback and, and usually everybody in the, in the, uh, retreat is a stranger to each other. And it is amazing Christian, how accurate the feedback that I would receive and I saw as a trainer, total strangers give each other. My point in telling you this is sometimes we 
hold on to things because we don't want to, we don't want to be too vulnerable, right? We don't want to expose ourselves. And what I'm telling you is, is that we are more transparent than we ever would like to admit. Do you know a child can tell if you're authentic and paying attention or not, can't they? I mean, they yeah. can really sense your your sincerity. And I think that this principle is true, that we can tell if someone is, is we have mirror neurons, we have, you know, if you want to call those spidey senses, whatever, that that just allow us to be able to to connect with people in a way. And, and, and I think these are, these are gifts that, that, you know, given to us by our creator to, to help us connect with each other, but also they can help us detect if someone is a threat or not. And that's one of the reasons why we have them. So if you truly don't care, people will know mostly. If you do care, I think they will feel. What do you think about that assertion? I believe that a hundred and 50,000%. <laughs> Absolutely. You can tell when someone uh, cares or not uh, just by, you can look, are they looking at you and when you're talking or are they even giving you time to talk? You know, do they show any interest in their, uh, you know, in their facial expressions or their demeanor or their language when they talk to you? Uh, you know, do they, you can tell, you can definitely tell. Uh, when someone is sincere or when someone is not sincere or, or what I mean by that is that they're actually interested in you right? Right. and they care about you as a person. And ultimately that's what all this comes down to, right? It comes down to people. And uh, that's what makes this human experiment so incredibly fascinating uh, <laughs> is that it all comes down to a bunch of us uh, imperfect beings. But at the end of the day, my personal choice is to believe in the inherent goodness of people, you know, it, until they give you a reason otherwise. You know, but I, so, you know, I might be a little bit gullible, uh, but but I do believe that that at the end of the day, people are inherently good, and you know, there are some bad apples that you gotta you gotta watch out for. But generally speaking, the people that I work with, the people that you work with, I you know, I would consider them good people. You know, the people that are be in... gullible than skeptical, right? <laughs> no, that's that's my personal my personal or cynical, view. cynical. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think uh, listen, everybody that I introduce you to, uh, speaking of trust, they they are quick to trust you, and you are somebody that inspires people to believe you because of your sincerity, because of your ability to connect. And because of your just willingness to to give and follow through and 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 believe the best in people and and people sense that and I've known that for two decades and so I I, I praise you everywhere I go and love introducing you anytime I can and so um, I know people want to find you for the services that you provide as a, as a great consultant and project manager and leader and entrepreneur how do they find you well thank you for that very kind uh for those very kind words spencer uh people can find me on linkedin just look for christian apr on linkedin you'll find me there yeah and happy to have a conversation and connect with anyone and spencer uh you my friend are the ultimate balance of competence and integrity very highly competent but also 
uh, you have a lot of integrity and you operate with a lot of integrity, which was, which is why so many people trust you to help them. And if people want to learn how to connect with you and learn how you can help their organizations build more trust and improve the performance of their teams, what's the best way for them to connect with you? You know, I love it. If you look me up on LinkedIn or go to altiumleadership.com, A-L-T-I-U-M leadership.com. Uh, but, message me on on LinkedIn and, and connect with me there. I love talking to, to people there. I'm just trying to see if we if we don't have any uh, questions. And um, I know sometimes with this new system, I, I I miss those. So if we if I've missed you, I apologize. And we'll try to answer those uh, on different social media. So anyway, Christian, thank you for the discussion today. Uh, I, I hope you enjoyed this topic. I mean, I think it's really important that, um, that we talk about it and, and consider this in, in, in our team performance and how our building of trust and how we apologize and how we view trust is, is helping or hurting the team. Oh, it was uh, my pleasure. I really enjoyed the topic and uh, thank you, Spencer, for recommending it. And thank you, viewers and listeners, for joining us. We encourage you, humbly, to like and subscribe to our podcast, and we'll catch you again soon. We'll see you soon. <laughs>